Hello, and welcome back to Getaway Day. I am Mason, he is Gautham, and we are here on a not-so-normal day. Uh, you are getting an audio-only exclusive podcast. We are not recording video this week, uh, and that is because we are not even slightly prepared to be doing a podcast right now. We are currently in Gautham's parents' basement uh, the night before going to the White Sox-Orioles game at the Guaranteed Rate Field. So, what's up, Gowie? How you doing? I am doing great. Uh, really looking forward to the game tomorrow, and glad we are able to be doing a live podcast. I, it's gonna, it's gonna go well, I think. Oh yeah, and the beauty is, uh, since it's not live, every time I mess up, we could totally just like pause and delete and start over. Uh, <laughs> totally not happened to this this point, right? Oh yeah, absolutely not. That would be ridiculous if I were to make you do that already and we just got started. Um, so we're going to go and have a pretty normal podcast other than the fact that we're doing it on an unnormal day. Uh, but if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Uh, make sure to let us know your thoughts through the YouTube comments or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or I think Spotify now allows that feature or by reaching out uh, to us on Facebook or Twitter at Getaway Day Pod. Uh, we also have our TikTok, which I'm still really bad at using, but I did post a new TikTok this week, and we'll be doing some at the game tomorrow, so make sure to check us out there. Um, there may or may not be a guest appearance from a good friend of the pod as well, so make sure to check that out. Um, so yeah, what do you say we get right into it? All right, let's do it. All right, so we're going to start with some This Week in Baseball, and we had some amazing, amazing performances from the one, the only, the Showtime Shohei, and this dude is still doing crazy things that we have never seen before. So on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, he had back-to-back stellar performances, um, the first of those on Tuesday um, against the Kansas City Royals, Shohei was in as the DH, uh, was only hitting. And in that game, he went uh, three for four uh, with um, eight RBIs, two three-run home runs, two sack flies um, that both scored runs, and uh, single um some other time in the game that we haven't even found in the box score yet. But it was an absolutely stellar performance. Shohei's personal high and RBIs in a game. And he basically single-handedly kept the Angels in that game that went to 11 before they lost 12 to 11. Yeah, it's just hard to believe that after a performance like that, the team would still lose the game. Um, But that's kind of what we've seen from the Angels when they just had Trout and now when they have Trout and Otani, it's like these guys continue to do incredible things, but um, the Angels still kind of uh, are letting people down. But that's not to take away from this performance, just absolutely insane um, stuff that he's doing. And I feel like we haven't really talked about him that much on this podcast, right, this year in general. We talked about him a lot last year, obviously. He was doing awesome stuff and uh, won the MVP and everything. This year hasn't been exactly what he was last year, but he's still a great player on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and honestly, we're doing him a disservice by not not talking about him enough because he's still doing things that are just absolutely nuts. Like um, this this game on Tuesday alone, 
is one of the best hitting performances I think we've seen in a game all season out of anybody. And then knowing what happened then the very next day makes it so much cooler. Um, so on Tuesday, we all knew Shohei was pitching on Wednesday. Um, and so the fact that he ended up, I, I guess, playing that whole game, I guess I would have assumed that they would have pinch hit for him at some point uh, just because he was pitching the next day. They they didn't, and thinking about it, it would have been dumb to. But uh, so he comes out the next day, and he goes out and throws eight two-hit innings, giving up zero runs, walking only one guy, and striking out a career-high 13 batters. Uh, so I was listening to Flipping Bats with Ben Verlander earlier today, and uh, he had mentioned that um, there's only one other guy in history who has an 8-RBI game and 12 strikeouts in another game in their career. And Shohei did it in back-to-back days. And I'm not going to do uh, – I'm just not going to do it justice on that point. So go check out Flippin' Bats with Ben Verlander uh, from Thursday of this week. He did a great segment on it, and I'll, I'll let him keep that one there. But it was just nuts. Yeah, and uh, I'll add that in that game, he was also batting uh, with the Otani rule that's now in effect. Um, he went one for three with two walks, so doing doing damage on the offensive side while he pitches. And do we kind of have to give Joe Madden a little bit of credit for the way that Otani's used? Like, last year was the first year that he really didn't just get the day off hitting-wise the day, like, before and after he would pitch. Now he plays the day before and the day after, and he's in there all the time. He he does not miss games really at all. Yeah, and and on a, that's a great point. I I think we owe Joe Madden pretty much everything on that because every other manager would be so careful with this guy. And I mean, you could make the argument that maybe Joe is uh, not the smartest for just kind of being haphazard uh, with letting guys go out and potentially getting hurt when it's someone like this. But he allowed Shohei to prove that he can do this. And he can do it in an elite level. And he went and had, what, 44 home runs last year? Because he he hit every day, including when he was pitching. And did it so well, Major League Baseball changed a rule for him. And that's something special. So, yeah, I think we owe Joe Madden pretty much every bit of that. And then Phil Nevin uh, on Wednesday was actually going to pull Shohei after the seventh inning when he was at 96 pitches. And, I mean, because of what Joe Madden kind of let Shohei do for two years, um, when uh, Shohei said, no, this is all mine to Phil Nevin on Thursday, Phil's like, okay, I guess you're going back out for the eighth. And then he threw another dominant inning. So, yeah, I that's a great point I hadn't thought of. And um, w- with that, I mean, he's a freak. Like, Otani's an athletic freak, right? He he can definitely handle it, and he he is doing that. He hasn't really shown any signs of uh, breaking down or anything. So it's – I think Joe really appreciates uh, just, like, how he, – he appreciated how special Otani actually was, and, and he is letting us witness uh, – him on display, you know, every game of the season. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's so much more we need to say about Shohei Otani, but I don't know 
what else to say <laughs> right now that we haven't. So what do you say we go ahead and move on to maybe a guy who's going to upset you just a little bit? Uh, but I'm doing that just to be mean. So let's t- <laughs> let's talk about one of the Cubs' most recent roster transactions today in DFAing Jonathan VR. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, so Jonathan VR, uh, you know, Cubs signed him this year to a one-year deal. Um, he was just putrid for the Cubs. I mean, he was worth negative .6 war in uh, just 46 games played. Probably the highlight of his career when it was when an exercise band hit him in the face and uh, broke all his teeth. And he, he was forced to have some serious uh, uh, surgery on his mouth. But, uh, you know, in his time with the Cubs... He batted 222, 271, 327, um, just two home runs and six steals. So the Jonathan VR of uh, 2016 does not is not uh, alive anymore. That guy stole 62 bases in the season. So I'll never forget that. But that Jonathan VR, he he's not around. And I don't know. I think this might be the end of the road for Jonathan VR. Like who who's gonna want this guy? Yeah, I don't know, because, like, he's only 31. Like, usually that's still not not a player's prime, but they're definitely not this far downhill this early. He really just, like, yeah. he, he just went downhill, kind of. Last year he was okay with the Mets, you know, and this year he never got it going. I mean, he's probably better than what he showed with the Cubs. Yeah, because, like, his strikeout rate seems to be pretty in line with the last couple years at about 25%. His walk rate's down. Um, which I think is probably just a symptom of him trying to do something because his average is so bad right now at only 222. And, I mean, there's probably still some good baseball left in there, but he's not really been amazing for a while. Well, I mean, the, the long and the short of it is that Jonathan Villar is really not that great a baseball player. Um, he, he's He's versatile. He really, he's a really aggressive base runner. He's got a little bit of power. That's what's kept him kind of in the league for such a long time. And, um, yeah, I'm sure someone will, will take a chance on him, but um, I've never been a fan of his game in general. So when the Cubs signed him, uh, I wasn't too happy about it. Yeah, it was really fun for me. <laughs> I, I, I don't like when you're happy with what the Cubs do. It, because it means that they're going to be good, usually, and I don't need that in my life. Yeah. Jonathan VR was the perfect Cub, in my opinion. Just the epitome of mediocrity. Yes. Yeah, so, all right, we'll, we'll move on from Jonathan VR, because I know that this, uh, this one kind of hurts your heart. But, so, what do you say we just go talk about another Milwaukee Brewers legend? Sure. All right, so, I want to talk just a little bit about Lorenzo Cain, because... Uh, if you saw the roster transactions uh, from, oh, I gotta spell his name right. Um, the roster transactions from the Brewers this week, uh, they did DFA um, Lorenzo Kane, and he had played forty three games for them, and he reached his ten years of service time on the exact day that they DFA'd him, and it it was a move that was uh, kind of planned by both sides. It sounds like. Um, cause the, the Brewers needed the roster spot for someone who was a bit more productive. Um, he, he knew that he wasn't the guy that they needed. He knew that he could go somewhere else potentially this year, or maybe he's just going to hang it up cause he's not really sure what he wants to do. Um, 
but they were they were graceful enough to wait until his exact 10 years of service time to let him uh, get into the pension program and all of that stuff. Because uh, 10 years in the major leagues is a huge, huge deal. So for a guy that did so much for this club, twice, basically. I mean, he didn't really do a ton for them the first time around because he got traded in the second year. Um, but like he's he's been a big part of this Milwaukee team for the last couple of years. And, and so the fact that they did this for him says a lot about what he meant to that club. Yeah, I'll start off by saying Lorenzo Cain's like one. He's been one of my favorite players to watch over the last, uh, you know, five plus years now. When he became kind of fully formed, and the crazy thing about Cain is that his career kind of started a little bit later than most uh, star type players would. He never really became a a really good player until he was like twenty six, twenty seven years old. Um, before that, he was just sort of like a defense first outfielder couldn't really hit that much and then it really changed and he was a huge part of the world series teams for the royals in 2014 and 2015 he was like one of the best players in the playoffs um always had great defense even now he he still can go get him in uh, center field um but yeah he's just uh just very exciting player in general to watch and um Sad to see him go, but uh, also happy that he's not terrorizing Cubs like he did for the last five years. Yeah, and I mean, to be completely honest, like it, it wasn't surprising that this move happened. Because uh, this year he's hitting 179, 231, 234. He's been really bad at the plate in 156 plate appearances. And this is a, a Brewers team that just can't find runs. So having a defensive first center fielder that is pretty much a defensive-only center fielder isn't really something that they can live with right now if they're trying to compete with the Cardinals in the NL Central, who have magically, after 10 years of seemingly not knowing how to score runs, have figured out how to score runs. So this Brewers team has to find offense, and so it, it made a lot of sense. But, yeah, Lorenzo Cain is probably one of the best humans in baseball. Like, not just being one of the best players for, for multiple years in 2015, 16, um, 17, 18. Um, but it's just, it, he's one of those guys that you never want to see him go. But if he hangs it up now, I mean, he's had a fantastic career. Yeah, he he's definitely a guy that I feel like goes really underrated because of the markets that he played in playing his entire career in Milwaukee and Kansas City. Um, and just hit, touching back on the point that you were making about um, him having a great career in general, he kind of himself said, I'm feeling really tired, and can you blame the guy? He's like 36. He's been doing the center field work for such a long time now. So, um, yeah, cheers to uh, Lorenzo Cain's awesome career. Yeah. So – uh, there's we could do a whole episode on Lorenzo Cain, honestly. Um, but what do you say? We've talked about one of the one of the greats, and and I, I would call him one of the greats. He's not an all time great, but kind of of our generation, it's kind of what he was. So what do you say we go from him to some of these guys who are potential future greats? So yeah, I I want to talk a little bit about. 
a team that I kind of hate, and I hate the fact that they might be good here sometime soon, and I've hated them for being bad as well. So I really just don't like the team, I think is what I'm saying here. Uh, <laughs> their owner is horrible, um, but they've got some really good stuff going on right now, and that's the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, so the Pirates actually had um, last week, I don't remember the exact day, uh, but... Let me find it real quick. Um, on the 19th, which would have been Sunday, uh, rookie Jack Sawinski had a three-homer game. He's the uh, only pirate outside of – do you know who the other one is? Jason Bay, I don't know. Uh, it is actually Andrew McCutcheon to have a three-homer game as a rookie. Um, the only two in the entire Pirates history. And not only did he have a three-homer game, he had a three-homer game with a walk-off home run, which is just nuts. And Zach, so, or, uh, Jack Sawinski, not Zach, um, he's kind of a guy that I had no idea who he was until he had that game. Like, I don't think he was a very big prospect. He was, what, their number 30 in their org? He was part of the... Um... He was part of one of those trades with the Padres, actually. We were talking about that off-air a little bit, all these trades that Preller has made, but prospects just kind of scattered around the major leagues. And Sawinski, I think he was part of the, may have been the Musgrove deal. Um, so, yeah, but definitely not your number one, like, prototypical big-name prospect. He's just kind of a, a guy, and he's been kind of good in his action with the Pirates so far this year, like uh, playing mostly every day. He's already got 11 home runs, not a whole lot of average or OBP, but, but the power has been there so far. And it's kind of, kind of promising for the Pirates. So he actually was not part of the, uh, which trade did you say? He was not part of the Musgrove trade. He was actually, um, Frazier trade. Yeah, so he was actually in the Adam Frazier trade. So he went along with um, Mitchell Milano, who I don't really know who he is, and Tucapita Marcano, who has been playing. Um, he's still with the Pirates, right? Yeah, I think he was talking about Yeah, so he's played a bit this year for the Pirates, but so he went with Marcano for Adam Frazier. Um, so that was that trade, which I didn't really think that the Pirates would get anything back in that that would be of any value, but apparently I was very wrong. Yeah. Uh, well, we might have to do a whole episode on uh, Preller trades and just looking at those because he's made uh, quite a few mistakes. I feel like he gets a lot of credit for what he does, but for all the trades he makes, I mean, he's going to make some mistakes. Yeah. And uh, honestly, that text I sent you the other day about um... – the idea I got from T-Rat about the trade trees. Oh, yeah. That would actually be really cool to see because, like, if Adam Frazier's going from the Pirates through the Padres over to the Mariners, and, like, there, there's a lot of stuff that's happening over there. So that'd be really cool to see. We should write that down. Um, but uh, Jack Sawinski's not the only good thing the Pirates have got going on right now. They actually called up uh, their – I think he's their top prospect, right, O'Neill Cruz? Um yeah, team rank one overall, number seven prospect in baseball, uh, according to the Fangraphs rankings. I've not checked the MLB rankings. But they called him up for his season debut. Um, 
and the dude was nuts. Uh, he had a play where he threw a ball across the infield at uh, almost 97 mile an hour. I think it was something like 96.7, something like that. Um, he hit an absolute scorcher of a double that was like a hundred and some ungodly mile an hour of, of uh, hit. Um, and then he hit a sprint speed of, I think it was 30 and a half feet per second. And he's six foot seven. He's the first shortstop ever to start a game at six foot seven. And I do have to qualify with start a game because there's been one other six foot seven shortstop in history, and I forgot his name, but uh, he didn't start the game. So I could look him up later, but he did exist. Yeah. So, so Mason's painting paint the picture of uh, this guy, but just for some more context on like what six seven is that we're talking about Aaron Judge here. So Aaron Judge playing shortstop, but he runs like uh, some track star. He runs like Trey Turner, and he can field his position, and and then he hits balls harder than Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. I think in the minors this year he hit a ball one hundred and twenty two miles per hour. So so um, this I. I listened to a lot of uh, Ben Verlander's podcasts from the last week on my way up here, admittedly. So uh, quite a few of the stats that I'm, I'm mentioning here, I'm, I'm ripping straight from him. So thank you, Ben, for <laughs> helping me out here. But uh, his, his team looked up in uh, that 30 and a half, and they compared it to Tyreek Hill of the uh, Chiefs last year. And uh, Tyreek Hill never reached 30.5 feet per second. And he's like known as the fastest guy in the NFL. So... This six foot seven guy is running faster than uh, like five eight, but the fastest guy in the NFL, Tyreek Hill. It's just nuts. Yeah, I. I it's just going to be like hard to see this guy not being successful. I feel like this is a star in the making right here. I I can't wait to see it come to fruition. Yeah, and I I kind of wonder long term, um, how long he stays excuse me, how long he stays at shortstop. Like, it sounds like he's a really pretty solid defensive shortstop, too. And, I mean, when you're that tall, you don't really have to move. You just have to reach over. So, I could see it. But um, just watching him and Cabrian Hayes, who I think leads the NL and DRS, in the same side of that infield, it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Agreed. Agreed, yeah. Um, so, if you're a Pirates fan, maybe you're – kind of happy for once in your life. And I don't think that was the only guys that they've had do something recently, have they? Didn't oh, they, they call up another guy? Called up a bunch of guys. Uh, there's a, a guy by the name of Bly Madris who had a really nice debut game. Uh, he's an outfielder. And then uh, Cal Mitchell had made his debut a couple weeks ago. So getting a lot of tastes of these uh, younger guys. And uh, some of them are kind of looking promising so far. Yeah, so, so that's it's starting to become a somewhat decent team. I don't want to say good yet because, I mean, they're all really young guys and one week doesn't really tell you how good a team is. But with Hayes, with O'Neal Cruz, with Jack Sawinski, if he keeps doing this, they still got Brian Reynolds. Uh, well, question about Brian Reynolds. Do you think uh, the Pirates are going to move him this year? I feel like this might be the time to do it. I mean, yeah, if they're going to, this is the time to do it because he's got how many more years until free agency? He's got like two or three more years. Uh, yeah, so this is his third full year in the majors. So he's this is his last year of arb? 
No, he was he was almost he was almost at three full service time. So this is his first year arm. So yeah, he's got two more years. If you're gonna trade him, this is the time. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I would be surprised if they kept him. I would be impressed and pleasantly pleasantly surprised if they didn't, because I think keeping him might actually be the right move. Yeah, that's a tough question because. You know, he's not exactly young. He's kind of right there in his prime. So I don't know what the Pirates' timetable is for getting back to contention. But if uh, if we're actually as encouraged as we're sounding today, then maybe maybe it's just a couple years ago away instead of like three, four, five years away. Yeah, and, and they do still have some other really good prospects that are going to be coming up soon. I don't think many of them are pitchers, unfortunately, for them. So that's kind of where they're going to struggle. Um, but lineup-wise, I mean, with Henry Davis going to be coming up here in maybe a year, um, they got, what, Leo Verpagaro. Um, uh, they, they got a whole bunch of dudes. So should be interesting to see what they do. Um, but yeah, I think, honestly, I hope they don't trade Brian Reynolds and try and make something of it soon. Just because... Pittsburgh doesn't deserve to be that bad for that long that often, do they? Not really, but, uh, you know, it's been a rough uh, couple decades. Yeah, that's Bob Nutting for you. So, all right, well, let's get to our main topic here. And that main topic is uh, kind of looking at preseason projections versus um, how players are actually doing versus the rest of season projections from – all the big projection systems from zips to the bat, um, ATC, steamer, zips, um, all your favorite uh, projection systems that you use for fantasy baseball. Um, and kind of the, the idea behind this is I was looking the other day at Paul Goldschmidt, and um, he's outperforming all his projections by a lot um, this year. And he's already eclipsed what they thought he would get in war um, and he's blowing away, um, like his, his, uh, projected average on base slug, uh, all while kind of being right where they thought he would be in power. So, um, I kind of wanted to just take a look and see kind of what do we think these different players are going to do in the second half of the season or the, the second two thirds or however much we got left. So, uh, since I've already mentioned Paul Goldschmidt, what do you say we start with him? Sure, let's do it. All right. So, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, before the season, all the projection systems were kind of expecting him to be somewhere around a 270, 350, 475 hitter. Um, at about a three and a half war for the season. Uh, 30 home run guy. It kind of... Basically what he did last year, uh, a little a little worse than last year, basically. Um, and it seemed like a reasonable expectation for a guy who's coming into his age 34 season to maybe regress a little bit from, from what was a, a stellar season last year, really. Um, and Paul Goldschmidt said, screw your projections. I'm instead going to hit 70 points higher than that and hit 340, 423, 625. For a 1.048 OPS through the first, what, two and a half months of the season? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's just terrorizing the league right now. 
who would have thought that 34-year-old uh, Paul Goldschmidt would be having his career year this year of all years? I mean, his career has been stellar in general. I mean, WRC Plus is usually in the 130s or 140 ranges. Um, and then he's just blown that out of the water this year with the 192. Yeah, and, and the weird part about him is that he's doing it while not really doing anything different this year. He's His strikeout rate's about the same. His walk rate's actually... Um, about the same yeah a little lower um his exit velocity is about the same uh launch angle the same and so i can't figure out why for the life of me he's hitting for 70 uh points higher in batting average than kind of usual or expected I don't know. I'm putting the mic in front of your face, but I don't know if you even have anything to say to that. Like, it's just, it's nuts. It doesn't make no, any sense. No. I'm looking at the player page here on Fangraph. It's it's kind of hard to figure that out. I mean, he does have a slightly elevated BABIP from career norms. He's at 384 this year, uh, 348 for his career. So, I mean, that's obviously the, the first thing you look at when you're trying to figure out what's going on with the batting average. Um, but really... Um, you know, like he's earned what he's done for the most part. It's just been really good performance and maybe a little bit of luck there, but nothing crazy. Yeah, and and I was looking at his home run totals uh, uh, splits by teams, and I thought like the Cardinals have played the Pirates quite a bit this this season so far. Same with the Brewers, and so I kind of thought maybe he's just hit most of his seventeen home runs off the Pirates, and I mean he has four home runs off both the Pirates and the Brewers, which is the most he's got against any team. But, I mean, that makes sense, seeing as they've played those two teams more than anyone else. And four compared to two or one is really not that insane. So it's not like he's just dominating against one terrible team and inflating his numbers. He's doing this against basically the whole league so far. So. Yep, and uh, just getting back to the projections thing. So we look at the rest of season projections. So, for example, the Bat X. um, which is a projection system I like to look at. It's it's clearly adjusted here. So in the preseason, the Bat X said that he'd be at a 128 WRC plus. And um, it's seen what he's done to this point in the season, and it projects a 151 WRC plus going forward for the rest of the season. So it, it's just interesting to me that um, just kind of how, how much uh, stock it's taking into what he's produced to this point in the season and and uh, kind of using that as the most important factor in, in projecting the rest of the season, which kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, which it's it's kind of interesting to see that and know in your head that it's it's rest of season, so you're adding that to everything that he's already done too. So his 151, it's not saying that his end of season WRC Plus is going to be 151. It's basically going to be the average of what it is now, 191 and 151. So really, they're projecting him to be at about a 170 WRC Plus with somewhere around a, a 310 batting average. And, and it, like they're projecting him to have basically a fantastic rest of the season while also coming back to earth a bit, similar to what he did last year. Instead of seeing the regression that they were expecting, they're basically saying the rest of the season is going to be as good as he was last year, but it's not going to be as good as he's been so far this year. Yeah, so th- it's a nice way to just kind of uh, get a kind of reality check. You know, like it's kind of 
taking the the difference between what he's done to this point in the season, which is obviously important because we're we're in this season now, but then also taking into account what he's done in prior season. I mean, we talked about his track record. Like he's gotten many many years of of full seasons, and um, he's kind of got career baselines that, and that and that's how projection systems work in general. Yeah, and and this is a guy that has finished second and third in MVP votings before, so. So they're definitely looking at that and, and going, okay, he's he definitely can do this. He's proven for two and a half months he can do it. He's probably going to continue to play to a high level the rest of the year. So, um, But, yeah, so that's kind of the, the thought experiment I was going through this week. And so I got about four other guys, uh, three of them hitters and one pitcher that I kind of wanted to do the same thing with. Um, so that first guy uh, used to be near and dear to your heart, and that's Javi Baez. So still, still near and dear to my heart. I mean, I can't just give up on Javi here, but to this point in the season, Javi, um, really, really rough time in his first year with the Tigers. Um, plate discipline, terrible as usual, but he's not really doing as much damage on the balls that he does put in play as he has in the past. So he's just got six home runs. He has hit like three of those in the last week or so. So it seems like maybe he's turning the corner, but kind of just the overall numbers to this point, uh, 216, 259, 367 uh, for a 76 WRC plus. So way below what he's done for his career. Um, I don't know. This one's a little bit different than Goldschmidt because Javi's career is a little bit more kind of up and down, um, and he doesn't really have that really solid baseline of what he's going to be because he just seems like he's such a volatile player in general. Yeah, and for the first, like, four years of his career, Javi was not really that great of a hitter. He was kind of league average to a bit below league average. Um, and and so, really, it was, what, 2018 and 19 that uh, – 2018 specifically, but 2019 he was still above average, that he just went on an absolute tear and was one of the uh, better hitters in baseball. Uh, I think probably the best hitting shortstop in baseball at the time, right? Yeah, so, um, and, and then 2020 had a bad season, but we're not even thinking about 2020 because that was so weird. Uh, bounced back in 21, uh, half the season with the Pirates, half the season with the Mets, and I think he was, or, wow. <laughs> Sorry, we're we're having we're having a beer that is uh way higher <laughs> alcohol content than I'm used to. Whoa, uh it's about twelve percent. Yeah, oh hop, yeah, hobby on the oh god. Uh half the season with the Cubs, half the season with the Mets. Dang. Can we just like delete this part and do it do it <laughs> we'll over? Edit it, yeah. We'll we'll edit this in post. Um and yeah, and, and he was, I think, better with the Mets last year than he was with the Cubs, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he was solid with the Cubs. He really turned it on the last couple months of the season, so uh, finished strong, and then obviously that's what how he's kind of able to parlay his uh, big, what, six-year deal with the with the Tigers here to be their leader, basically. And I don't know, maybe it's the adjustment period. I think he's really going to come around. I mean, he's not, he's not old. He's 29, um, and... You know, like, this is one of the ones where I don't necessarily care what the projection says. I know that he, uh, when he is hot, he, he can kind of carry a club and um, kind of, he, he always ends up with 
pretty solid numbers in general at the end of the season. Just the way he gets there is not traditional. He's he's not um, kind of playing to some level. He he just has very hot and very cold streaks in there. Yeah, and and I would chalk up his his admittedly very poor performance so far as um, as an adjustment period, similar to what. I've been saying like uh, Nolan Arenado had in his first year in St. Louis, Lindor. Francisco Lindor had in his first year in New York, and like it's just kind of becoming a thing. It's it's switching to a new culture. Uh, there's not really a ton of fans that show up in Detroit, and that's kind of a big part of Javi's game is he gets his hype from the fans. So I wouldn't be surprised if that were playing into it too. I think so. Yeah, I've I've definitely thought that a lot. And 2020 is kind of another example of that because that was Javi's worst season by far uh, in a season where there were no fans at Wrigley Field. So it must have been just a completely different experience for him. Yeah. And so uh, looking at his preseason projections, his preseason projections were actually pretty solid. Uh, him, They expected him to be somewhere around a 250 to 260 hitter uh, with about a 300 on base and about a 450 slug and and slug is where they pretty much all agreed all the time for the most part but uh and he's he's not lived up to that obviously with the the slash line of 216 259 367 uh but the projection systems are expecting a rebound here and and it kind of goes along with what we were saying happened last year uh when he went from the pirates now the cubs uh cubs to the mets um and they're expecting him to finish out somewhere in the second half, hitting somewhere around 240, about a 300 on base, and about a 430 slug. So they're really not expecting much difference from what they did in the preseason. I think they're also thinking this is just a, a transition period for him, trying to figure it out. Yep, would agree. And, um, yeah, like it really can't get too much worse than what he's shown to this point. So the fact that he's had a good uh, last several games, I think, or on the way to uh, whatever you might call quote-unquote normal hobby going forward. Yeah, I mean, I watched the Cubs for years just playing against the Cardinals, and to be honest, I don't know what a normal hobby is. <laughs> I'm still very confused. He's either terrible or amazing. Yeah, he's confusing defenses. That's fine. Like, uh, he still probably does that. Yeah, and, and the defense is really good, of course, so he's he's not doing nothing. Yeah, so he definitely does bring value in um, on the defensive side, and, and I think that's kind of what's held him up this year because he's been bad offensively, He's uh, but he's still um, put up about .4 war, and I think most of that is actually because of his defense. Yeah. All right, so now we got two hitters that we've kind of talked about a, quite a bit, um, at least between you and me. I don't know how much we've talked about them on the podcast. I know a, a little. Uh, and that's both Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger. So I'll let you pick which one we do first. Uh, let's start with Belly. So Belly, he is doing a lot of things kind of similar to last year, and last year he was terrible, uh, 48 WRC+. plus. And this year, uh, it's been a lot better, but he's still at just a 90 WRC plus. So he's nowhere near, you know, MVP Bellinger um, from 2019 or any of any of those early seasons, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. He's not that guy, but he is a 
he's a contributor. You know, he he's chipping in the nine home runs, the nine steals, um, walking a little bit. Um, he he's just, but he's just like an okay player at this point. I don't I don't understand how this has happened to to Bellinger. I just thought he would be better than this. Well, and and the thing that's kind of standing out to me, just looking at his his dashboard here on Fangraphs, is his plate discipline, his strikeout rate, his walk rate. His strikeout rate's the highest it's ever been at 29%. Even last year in his awful season, it was 26, which was really high for him. Um, he'd never been above, well, so I guess his, his rookie season, he was at 26. But that was the only season that he had been above 24 even. Um, and so I think that's kind of out of the ordinary. The projection systems definitely did not expect that. Uh, his walk rate is the lowest it's ever been at 7.8%. I think he's going outside himself trying to get hits, and I think it's negatively impacting him probably both mentally and results-wise here. Yeah, I I think you're onto something there. Uh, well, the, the projections rest of the season, they are saying that he's going to be and so, like, uh, bat, the Bat X has him at for 232, 310, 431, which is 8% better than league average by WRC+. Plus. Um, that that seems fair, right? That that seems about right for what he's done to this point in the season. Um, they're projecting him to play better than he has to this point, but it's still not the old belly at all. Yeah, they're definitely expecting positive regression here and and I think if he can reset, I think he might get it cuz I'm looking down at now his uh, stat cast numbers is his barrel rates, his hard hit rate, and his exit velocities are on par with with kind of where he's been in his career. His launch angle has been high the last two seasons and and you could see that just in like when he's hitting the ball, he's he's popping it up a lot. And he's kind of been doing that the last two years. and But his hard hit rate is actually rebounded um, back closer to where it was when he was actually playing really well in 17, 18, 19, 20, um, where he's kind of right there in the middle. He's not at rookie of the year or MVP belly, but he's at really, really good 2018, 2020 belly uh, as far as hard hit rate. Um, and... His his barrel rate is kind of in that same boat. So like he's he's hitting the ball hard. He's popping it up a little bit more, and he's striking out a lot more while taking less walks. And I kind of think that's probably the story of what it is. I'm sure there's more to it, and you'll tell me here in a minute. But one thing you ju- you brought up previously was that plate discipline. And I'm seeing here uh, O swing percentage, so swinging outside of the the strike zone. That's pretty high up and similar to what he was doing in 2021 back it's at 31 34.1% in his MVP season that was 26.8%. So he seemed to just it's weird that uh he's sort of lost uh the feel for the strike zone and he he's he's being like too aggressive or or something where he just swing at way more pitches and when you do swing at pitches outside of the zone you're you're just in general going to do less damage with the balls that you actually put in play because the amount of contact he's making is not so different from what he was doing in 2019. It's 76.6% this year and 78.1% from 2019. So 
a lot of these things look very similar in terms of the plate discipline, but I just see the, that O-swing percentage being like a significantly different different one. Yeah, and, and I kind of see that as being um, it kind of explaining his, his kind of fly ball rate because what's his fly ball to home run now? Um, so it's, it's back to 12% home run per fly ball. Sorry, that's, that's the way I meant to say it. Uh, home run per fly ball. So when when he was having his elite seasons, he was at about twenty five percent home runs per fly ball ratio, which is really really high. Yeah, that's the juice ball era. Era. Um, his other really good seasons, he was around fifteen seventeen percent, and that plays. Uh, last year, he was at nine point four, and and so that's just saying he's skying the ball. He's just hitting pop up after pop up after pop up, and if you're swinging up at a pitch that's above the zone you're going to pop it up more often. Like, he's not getting square contact. He's he's either golfing the ball or he's uh, swinging at something that's way too high and just getting under it. And so that plate discipline, I think, kind of explains most of his issues. Like, I'm, I'm sure that there's quite a bit of just mental trying to overcome little bits and pieces with his swing, too. But, I don't know, it kind of seems like you can you can see what the issue is. So my question to you is, do you think we're going to see that anything, anything close to the MVP Bellinger again, or are we just going to get just kind of this okay, average kind of player? He's not old. No, he's he's not old. He's only 20, 26. Who's the hitting coach for the Dodgers? I kind of wonder if he's one of those guys that needs a different hitting coach. He just needs a new perspective, and maybe that would help unlock something. But he's 26. He's got tons of time to figure it out. I mean, like, it's kind of the Glaber situation, if you think about it. Like, Glaber was awful last year and the year before at hitting. And they had him playing over at shortstop, and that was causing some issues. Now he's moved back to second. He's starting to hit a lot better. He's been pretty solid this year. Um, some people are saying all-star. I don't think so. I think Andres Jimenez gets that. But He's been very good, though. Yeah, yeah. But, but Glaber's been very good. And I don't think the Yankees got a new hitting coach this year. Um, but, like, I, I would – it would be stupid to just give up on Belly entirely at 26 years old. Yep. I, I think that's right. And so he dealt with so many physical issues the last couple of years. So – He's probably just getting over that now, and then now it's probably more of a mental adjustment than anything. Like he, I think he's just trying to get back to that and probably pressing a little bit, and, and we're seeing that in the way that he's just swinging a lot <laughs> at bad pitches. Yeah. So, what do you you got? Any other comments on Belly, or I you want to Belly all day? But let's go on to Yelly. All right. So now we're going to talk about a guy who I think was in a similar boat. Uh, for maybe different reasons, but similar boat coming into the season, and that's Christian Yelich. He had his MVP season in 2018, uh, the year between Belly's Rookie of the Year and his MVP. And uh, Yelich has been kind of just a league average hitter for the second year in a row. He's he's batting. Do you remember that Rafael Ortega thing I sent you a few like a week ago? Oh, God. <laughs> I do now. Yeah. Why did you have to? Yeah, so um, do you have that? I can pull it up on Twitter on my phone. Pull that up. 
But basically, I had sent uh, I had sent Mason a comparison between Christian Yelich and Rafael Ortega of the Cubs, their seasons the last couple of years, and it was shockingly similar the production that they've actually created for their teams. And obviously, one guy's on a nine-year contract; the other guy's in pre-arbitration. So, all right. So I believe this is. So is it over the last two years combined? I think one, no, one. The first one's from twenty one. The second one's from twenty two. Oh, okay, yeah. Then twenty one and twenty two. Yeah. So the numbers over the last two seasons, uh, combined, and then twenty twenty two and the next thing. Okay. So basically, Christian Yelich over the last two seasons uh, has been a two forty six, three forty nine. 378 hitter for a 100 WRC plus in a two war. Rafael Ortega, uh, basically just last year because he wasn't around in 2020, right? I mean, yeah, he's just kind of a journeyman kind of guy. He never really got a lot of playing time before. Yeah, uh, he was a 279, 356, 426 guy for 114 WRC plus in two war. Fewer games by about. 22 games there. Um, So better production, same value in 22 fewer games. And Ortega actually had a 3% lower strikeout rate and also a 3% lower walk rate. This year, uh, Christian Yelich, uh, and this this is outdated, um, but about... uh, 242, 325, 386 at the time of getting this for a 99 WRC plus and 0.6 war. Uh, and Ortega was 257, 349, 351 for a 101 WRC plus and 0.5 war. So Christian Yelich, this guy who is like still thought of as a superstar, is journeyman outfielder Rafael Ortega. Yep, but I, I mean... Or, or like making fun of Christian Yelich here, but I actually have a lot more faith in Yelich than Bellinger because he's actually doing a lot of very similar things than when he was actually very good. If you look at a stat cast page, hitting the ball extremely hard, uh, 89th percentile average exit velocity, uh, 93rd percentile hard hit rate. Um, you know, he's making a lot of contact and, and, Plate discipline is not an issue for Yelich. He's got a great uh, feel for what the strike zone is. He's just swinging at 22.6% of pitches outside of the zone, which is actually way less than what he did in uh, 2018 and 2019 when he was that superstar, uh, making tons of contact. I'm I'm a bit surprised that he's still kind of stuck at that 240, 328, 378 that he's hit this season, which is just kind of like roughly league average. I, I don't know. Like I, I feel like he should be doing better than he does. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at his batted ball percentages here. And really the only one that stands out to me is that his line drive percentage is low. Like, uh, yeah, lots of ground balls, but not anything more absurd than what he's done in the past. I mean, way higher than 2019, but not really that insane compared to that. Uh, his fly ball rate's also a little bit up. 
Uh, down from his his MVP season, actually. Or no, sorry, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong year. Uh, 2018. Uh, up from his um, his MVP season as well. So he's just he's getting more balls on the ground and more balls in the air without getting square contact is really his thing. I think like that's really the only thing that I noticed. Like his pull rate, his oppo rate, they're all on par. His hard hit rate is about on par. Like definitely low compared to that 2019. Or, or well, so not hard hit rate, but the hard hard hit speed percentage. So I don't know. I I think he's just not squaring it up. And I don't really know how to fix that other than just more reps. Yeah, this has just been a mystery. These these two players just seem like so they're just seem so difficult to figure out what they're gonna do. Let's see if we can uh lean on those projections a little bit and see what they think. So the bat X for the rest of season has him at 268, 361, 459, 128 WRC plus going forward. So they like a lot of the things he's doing because, you know, he's striking out less than um, than he did. Well, no, kind of – he's striking out quite a bit. But, you know, walking a good amount, they like some of the things that he do, he's doing and they think he's going to improve upon what he's done to this point. And, and that makes sense. Um, well, and really looking at it, they're really only expecting the results to change. It looks like it doesn't look like they're expecting any of the like. They don't really expect his walk rate to go up or down, or his Strike strikeout rate, rate to go up or down. Yeah. They're just kind of expecting his average and his OBP and slugging to normalize out. Yeah, and I believe it. Yeah, I mean he's hitting the ball hard, so like at some point things got to start falling. What's his BABIP? Uh, that's actually not terrible. Like, he's had some high babs in the past, so uh, probably go up from from where it is. So, but yeah. So you like Yelich better than Belly going the rest of the season? I think so. All right. Well, so I got one more guy that I want to talk about, and I'm gonna kind of throw you for a loop a little bit because we've only talked about hitters so far. And there's one guy that I really want to talk about him mostly because not enough people are giving this guy love for potentially being a Cy Young contender this year. And I say potentially. I think he's a Cy Young contender this year, just period. Straight up, exclamation point. NL or future NL Cy Young, Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, he's he's like the workhorse of of this like generation of, of 2022 baseball he's the guy that's going out there every single time he pitches and he's going deep into the game so like I, i'm looking at the game log right here his last uh appearances eight innings seven and two-thirds nine seven eight nine eight seven so like his last handful of starts he's gone at least seven innings in all of them so who does that today no one well well and and he pitched today and he threw seven innings. Yeah, yeah. So they they trust him to to go deep in games. And I don't think anyone's pitched more innings than the guy in the last uh, three years now. Uh, I, I wouldn't imagine so. 205.2 innings last year. Yeah. He's at 99 and a third this year, not counting the innings he threw today. So he's at 106 and a third this year. Um yeah, he's he's an absolute workhorse, and he's doing it to the tune of a 172 ERA, Whoa. a 284 FIP, so a a bit higher in the FIP. Um, 
because he's never been much of a strikeout guy. So that kind of elevates that fit, but it doesn't really matter. Like he's making it work for him. He gets the ground balls. Um, and I don't know, his, his, he just seems so tough to, to hit when, when he's got like runners on base, he just seems like he's always getting out of jams and get to the next inning. Yeah. And so I, I admittedly, what's, what's the best, uh, projection system for pitchers because i know projection systems on pitchers are are kind of screwy there it's really hard to project pitchers but I, I really wanted to talk about him more because of what he has done and not so much compared to projections as is just in general but but they were projecting him uh before the season to be somewhere in the mid to high threes in era and a, a fip to match uh and like I said, he's got a 172 ERA, a 284 FIP. His expected ERA is actually 250, uh, 259. So I guess you could say he's getting pretty lucky there. But, I mean, the dude's also just really good. So I wouldn't be surprised if he continued to outperform the expectations here. But the rest of the season, they're still expecting him to be about a 3.5 ERA with about a 3.5 FIP. And and they do expect him to put up quite a bit of value, uh, war wise, and finish up with about a five, which for the Marlins you'd be really happy with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, no doubt. That's crazy. Two point eight war accumulated already at four. Um, I I like this guy a lot. He's great to great to watch, and um, yeah, I mean, I don't think the projections can can capture what he's been for multiple years now because they they've just kind of underestimated what what he's been able to do yeah and and he's we talk about him not being a huge strikeout guy and i I guess he accumulates strikeouts based on how many innings he pitches but he's still on pace to be about a 200 strikeout guy this year which is nothing to bat an eye at like that's that's a lot of k's that's a lot of value that you bring in as a pitcher it's just also over 200 innings, which is also nothing to bat an eye at. Because how many guys threw 200 innings last year? It was not many at all, right? Zach Wheeler and him. And it was... Wait, it was close, right? Yeah. I think he made it, actually. Did he? It was like three or three or four guys, maybe. So, yeah. That's that's a underrated skill, just the, the ability to accumulate those innings. And he's got it. Um, Marlins need him to do that. And... Like you, you gotta admit that trade that they made—that that's looking horrible for the Cardinals. Oh they yeah, Zach that... Allen and Sandy and some other guy for Marcel. Yeah, that I mean, yeah. In in hindsight, you don't really want to make that trade, but at the time, I think it was the right move. It just—if you know what you know now—it looks really bad. Because yeah. like at the time, Marcel was an elite hitter. And he came to St. Louis, and he wasn't that same guy, but he was still really, really good for two years. Okay. Um, I, he he was still the best hitter on the team for two years. Okay. Still the best hitter on the team <laughs> for two years. Um, but yeah, like we obviously looking back at it, feel like idiots for and people make fun of Mo and say he's terrible because he gave up Sandy and Gallon. Um, but. I mean, you can't really 
can't really be too harsh on that now. It's it's many years after the fact. That was what 2018? Yeah. We were still in college. So, yeah. But um but yeah, I I was just looking up the innings pitch for last year and and it was four guys. Zach Wheeler, Walker Buehler, Adam Wainwright, Sandy Alcantara in that order. So. Yeah, okay. Well, uh you got anything else? I I'm good. Yep. So I think that's pretty much all we got for tonight. So once again, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you like and subscribe uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, be it on YouTube, be it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Make sure to let us know your thoughts. Uh, we, we love seeing feedback from you guys, anything that you want to see us improve on. If you just really like the content, and if you hate me, feel free to tell me that too. I would love to hear it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you can uh you can do that through uh the youtube comments or um uh apple podcast review i think spotify allows reviews now facebook and twitter at getaway day pod uh tiktok at getaway day pod and i think that's it uh so make sure to check out all that stuff as we're at the game tomorrow um it should be fun uh, we see Adley against the White Sox team, and I get to join in on the uh, Tony Larusa booze for the first time ever. Fire, Tony! It's it's gonna be great. So thank you very much, and have a wonderful rest of your night.